It's the big one. The Sky Half Price Sale is here. Choose from award-winning Sky TV and everything on Netflix or unmissable sports with every single live Premier League game on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports all half price. Take Sky Cinema and watch the biggest blockbusters or grab Sky Broadband Ultrafast for lightning fast speeds. Choose one that suits you. They're all half price for six months. Save big in the Sky Half Price Sale. Search Sky Half Price. Availability subject to location, TV and broadband products sold separately. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speed. Setup fees, min terms and further terms apply. Offer ends 2nd of September. Think of all the comic book heroes you know. There's Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Storm and Captain Marvel to name a few. These are all fictional characters. No basis in reality and no fact behind the fiction. They are just stories for children, young adults and those who are lucky enough to hold on to elements of imagination as they grow older and take on the world's responsibilities. But what if this isn't always true? What if one of the heroes sketched onto cheap paper whose face was first crafted on a series of scribbles drawn on the back of a beer mat during a drunken discussion had a life so dramatic, elaborate and shocking that it is easier to dampen the tale by placing it in the fiction aisles? Would you believe the stories? Would you prefer the undiluted version of this life? It is the life of a man from Wexford which answers these questions for us. This is his story. In the model county, better known as Wexford, in 1611 a child was born. His name was William Lamport. William began his life as a child of Catholic merchants. A family who prospered in the years leading to William's birth but found themselves facing challenges to the business and their lives much out of their control. In the year in which William was born, counties Carlow, Wicklow and Wexford were the three Irish counties to take part in what was known as Surrender and Regrant. Scale Fadigar. Surrender and Regrant was a legal and political system brought in by the British during the Tudor conquest of Ireland. It sought not only to create the British Kingdom of Ireland under the British Crown, but also to remove the powers of the Gaelic chieftains and clans on the island. Henry VIII had started the policy as a backlash after the Geraldine Rebellion, where a man known as Silken Thomas, the 10th Earl of Kildare, rose the Irish clans against the Crown, uniting Ireland to form a steel-fisted Celtic army, which after centuries of slaughter battled against the Crown in a final push to save their cultures and societies. The rebellion failed and mass killings of the Irish became an everyday occurrence on the island. Silken Thomas was captured and executed. As a result, and to try and save their people, many of the Irish chieftains surrendered their land to the British Crown in order to avoid mandatory execution. Many of them tried to fight it for as long as they could, but there is only so much beheading of innocent people to prove a point that anyone can take, and the Celtic world crumbled under the Empire. In all, it took over 90 years for each clan to fall under their new ruler. Initially, Dublin fell quite easily and almost instantly became British. It was the rest of Ireland which stood firm for as long as they could, but there is only so much farmers can do against a fully trained and equipped army. It was from this policy that Irish surnames became formally recognised, and the tribal names became something to place on a form, rather than a mark of the battles your people had been through and the genetic scars which they carried. William began his education in a Jesuit school in Dublin. A 
as his parents could afford to send him to what remained of Catholic education. He showed signs of tremendous intelligence and became a master of languages from a young age, mastering 14 in all to a fluent level, including Latin. As the British Protestant monarchy created barriers to make it increasingly difficult for Irish Catholics to gain any form of education, William's family found it increasingly difficult to educate their son. Then a lifeline came from Spain. At the time, Spain was the Catholic centre of Europe and great protectors of the Catholic people. As Britain placed more and more pressure on the Irish to change their long-held beliefs, Spain became a haven for the Irish and often ferried the Irish Catholics across the ocean to Spain for education. Being merchants, William's family managed to negotiate a safe passage for their son to attend an Irish college in the northwest of Spain. Spain not only created these to help the Irish, they also recognised the Celtic system of chieftains and noblemen. As a result, the northwest of Spain became an extension of Ireland and a new home for the Irish, looking to live life as they choose, rather than as an obligation to a crown which they had no loyalty to, particularly one which offered death instead of hope. After some time in Spain, William felt that in order to help the Irish against oppression back home, he would take part in a campaign in London to help the public to understand the plight of the Irish Catholics. On a cold, wet day near London Tower, William was distributing pamphlets to the English public on the conditions the Irish were being put through as a result of the legal system being introduced at home. As he neared the end of his day, he found himself running through the streets of London. He had been reported to the police by someone who did not sympathise with the Irish people. As he leapt over walls, hid in corners and weaved through the streets, William's heart thumped due to the thrill, rather than from the exercise of the fear. He was eventually cornered and taken to jail. This incident began something in the well-educated, high-class William, which he did not know a man could enjoy. He had gained an addiction for adventure and thrill. So much so, that as the jail cells went dark for the night, William managed to burst out of his cell and run to the ports of London, still shackled. When he got there, he spotted a French trading ship and hid in its belly until out at sea. Being able to speak French, he told them of what he had done and agreed to work on the ship until such time as he repaid the debt. Not to lose out on his thrills, however, William did not stay true to his word. The ship he had escaped on did not make it back to France. But two years later, however, William did, on board a pirate ship. Having spent two years at sea and learning about real fighting, not the fighting they taught him in fancy boy lessons, William decided his next adventures would be with the French army. He did this as he learned of the Catholic French King's wars with the Protestant Huguenots. He was not willing to see another nation lose its identity for the sake of religion, as had happened to his own home. William fought bravely for the Catholic King Louis VIII and defended France during the siege of La Rochelle. This resulted in the complete victory for the King and William was noted by his superior officers as a fine swordsman and someone who never shied from battle. 
His sense of adventure had become all-consuming, and it brought him to a state of blind possession when it came to chasing the thrill. In 1633, William learned of an Irish regiment having formed in the Spanish army. He joined one of three such groups. Others in his ranks included the sons of Irish chieftains who were training in an effort to reclaim their homes. William spent the next two years fighting side by side with the other exiled Irish troops across Europe. He fought in the Netherlands and Germany, again against oppressors of Catholicism. Anywhere Catholics were under threat, William's sword could be found. Due to his desire to help the Catholics and his love of adventure, William was found on the front lines of each of the major battles throughout the European wars. His name and fame began to grow throughout Europe as the liberator of the Catholics. So much so did his fame grow that the merchant's son was brought before the King of Spain, Philip IV. Philip was keen to meet the man who was ever present at every major point in Spain's battles. He had become a mythical-like creature, as his name only ever appeared in battles and always as a key figure. Legends began to grow about William, that he was a Roman soldier brought back to life to fight for the Catholics. There were stories of how he couldn't be killed. There were even tales of his magical powers. He was brought into the political world by Philip, who thought that the people of Spain would take great comfort if they saw William by his side. As he worked the political circles, William became involved with a woman called Anna de Cano Ilieva. Shortly after the romance began, she became pregnant. Under pressure from his brother John, who at this stage had left Wexford to become a Franciscan monk, William was expected to marry her before the birth of their child. The couple, however, fell out as William desired to rejoin the French army, but Anna was strongly against this due to the dangers of war, as she also felt if he was to join anyone now, surely it would be Spain, the country of his wife and son-to-be. This was not the only issue William had in Spain though. As he became more settled in the country, he began to see that while he was off fighting to free people, the poor people of Spain were suffering terribly under Philip. He couldn't bear to see what was happening to the Spanish. He had left Ireland to avoid this type of treatment, and now he was as much a part of the problem as the one which he despised back home in Ireland. Then, one night, as William went to the docks to clear his head, he met a ship captain heading for New Spain the land today known as Mexico. As he did while escaping London, he took refuge on the ship and sailed for the New World. The Bishop and King of Spain saw this as a member of their courts going AWOL, and William was immediately deemed the criminal who had committed treason. William was ahead of this announcement, however, as when he reached the Americas, he declared he had been sent there by the king to manage the political situation there, and to be a source of information for the royal courts. As his cover story spread across New Spain, he became accepted into many of the social circles there. His fame had gone before him, and he had no issues to speak of. 
1640, while William lived safely in New Spain, revolutions began back in Catalonia and Portugal. While Catalonia's revolution failed, Portugal's succeeded. This began to inspire those in New Spain that they could too one day be free, and William, seeing an opportunity to create a land free for all, finally decided that he should be the man to lead the revolution. In 1641, he began forming a plan to overthrow Spanish rule in the area and create an independent state. William went across the sea, meeting with the Native Americans, the enslaved people of Africa who had been taken from their homes against their will, and the merchants working in the area. He created a strong army of people who had been wronged, and trained them himself in how to fight. He also gathered the noblemen in New Spain, who had left Spain for wealth, and convinced them to fund his efforts as they would be the nobility of the new free state. They were only allowed to be a part of it, however, if they agreed to running the new republic as a democracy for all. One of those who he approached was horrified by the idea of what he was trying to do, and fled back to Spain to warn the authorities. Now, discovering where William had gone, and learning that he was leading a rebellion, the Spanish sent a large army out to deal with him. Normally, one person would not have required such a large army, but given William's remarkable ability to thrive in battle, risks could not be taken, and they would have to use all their might to stamp him out. The other wealthy people of the area, who did not agree to his plans due to their own greed, found themselves with a very powerful enemy. William would dress all in black, covering his face, and attacked their crops and riches at night. Food was stolen from barns and distributed among the poor. Uncut crops were set alight in massive blazes which could be seen from miles away. Those he found sleeping were often stabbed through their chests as they slept. William's army was moving across the land as a great horde of liberators, gaining new recruits with every town's slaves that they liberated. When the Spanish army eventually did arrive, William was not prepared. Caught off guard, his army were transformed into nothing more than a memory. William, as always, managed to survive the battle, but surrendered in order to save those who still lived. He was immediately thrown into a prison cell. He stayed here for eight years until Christmas Eve 1650, when he managed to escape. He did this after he found that the two guards who were supposed to be guarding him were simply not there. Rather than running for safety on this occasion, William instead tried to get a message to the slaves to try and get the rebellion going again. He managed to get to safety amongst friends, who thought that they might have to go back to William's original adventure days and begin distributing pamphlets. This time on the plight of the slave and the Native American under Spanish rule. When they arrived to the cities to distribute them, they found that they were already too late. A propaganda mission had already begun, and he found his face planted across the walls of the cities as a criminal, an enemy of the people, and that he was not to be trusted. This was when William discovered that the reason the guards had not been there was because it was part of a plan. He had thought, perhaps, that they went off drinking or celebrating, as it was, after all, Christmas Eve, 
Instead, he realised that it was to undermine his authority and to show his supporters that he was a failure and his rebellion would always be a failure. He was arrested again when spotted in a city and brought back to his cell. He spent the next few years facing the walls of his cell. He was permitted papers to write on and he produced a lot of writings in Latin about Spain, New Spain, war, religion and Ireland. In 1659, William's cell door opened and a broken man was brought before a crowd. He was brought to a great pile of sticks and tied to a stake. The bottom sticks were set on fire and William waited as the flames climbed towards him. He was being made an example of. Rebellions would not be tolerated under any circumstances. William was seen to begin crying and was heard praying in Irish. As the flames neared his feet, William managed to wriggle free from the ropes. He stood by the fire and looked to try and jump off. Repeatedly he failed as he could not clear the flames. The flames grew hotter and hotter and William's standing room grew smaller and smaller. He began to feel the leather burn away from his shoes and realised his time had come to an end. He walked back up to the stake and sat down. He grabbed the roasting iron collar which was around his neck. Accepting his fate and not wanting to burn, William gripped the collar and pressed it into his neck. The skin on his hands and neck blistered and tore away. The heat of the iron made his skin appear as though it was melting butter. The hero of the Catholic people, the slaves and the Native Americans was gone. Today, William is remembered as the inspiration for the story of the Mask of Zorro. Today's music was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. The story was researched and scripted by Oren. We the Irish is an Ireland Loves production. If you want to help support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish. Ryan is Anam Dunn, Gurav Mahagut, Slananish.